You're listening to Brain Biohacking with your host, Kayla Barnes. We dive into all things optimal health, nutrition, peak performance, cognitive excellence, biohacking, longevity, and so much more. Today, I'm speaking to the man, the myth, the legend in biohacking, also known as the father of biohacking, Dave Asprey. He is a four-time New York Times bestselling science author, the host of a Webby award-winning podcast, The Human Upgrade, and has been featured on the Today Show, CNN, The New York Times, Dr. Oz, and so much more. Today, we're going to talk about his tried and true biohacks, his favorite and most effective ones, along with more innovative biohacks. We're also going to discuss how he keeps his brain the age of a 20-year-old and his current thoughts on diet, specifically the Bulletproof Diet. Stay tuned. I know you're going to love this episode. You've been told they're healthy, but if they're not working for you and you're not just bursting with energy, well, maybe they're not working for you. Dave, it is such a pleasure to have you here with me today. It's my pleasure, Kayla. So for anyone that's not aware of your story, how did you get into biohacking in the first place? Well, I used to weigh 300 pounds and I'm actually, I'm about 225 now because I'm carrying more muscle than I have a lot of the time. I've lost hundred pounds of fat and I had real serious brain fog in my twenties. I had arthritis since I was a teenager. I was diagnosed being at high risk of stroke and heart attack before I was 30, pre-diabetic. And, um, oh, I had chronic fatigue syndrome. So kind of a wreck. And when my doctors just either didn't believe me or couldn't help, I realized I'm going to have to do something about this. So I literally told my doctor he was fired uh, when he told me uh, one, one vitamin C capsule a day would kill me. Uh, so I didn't have a doctor for four years. And I would just stay up every night after my job in tech in Silicon Valley and read medical journals. And I taught myself how to hack my own biology. And when I say hack, I was a computer hacker. <laughs> I was at the company that held Google's first servers when it was two guys in the computer. And I was a co-founder of a part of, of the company that did that, as well as many, many other very large companies now. So I was teaching people how to build technology, how to manage technology, and how to make it do what you want, even if it's not your technology. I'm like, oh, my body is not my technology. I better make it do what I want. And when I was looking for a name for this that brought together work I'd done in the anti-aging field and the autism research field, looking at neuroscience, looking at bodybuilders, looking at astronauts and special forces, like what language do we have to bring us all together? And it turns out it's the language around control of our own biology. So for me, I just wanted my body to do what I wanted. I wanted my mind to do what I wanted and my mind was all over the place and my body was all over the place. And I just wanted to be able to bring it every day at work because I'm like building the most exciting technology I could think of at the time. And when I realized running the anti-aging nonprofit group, the only people who really care about aging, guess who they are, Kayla? Old people? Yes. And guess who really cares about health, healthiness? Hmm, sick people. Exactly. So sick people and old people care about anti-aging and health. So what's the language? It's actually the language of power. It's the language of energy because that's what I cared about. <laughs> like, I am so tired of being tired. I'm so tired of not being able to think when I know that I'm smart, but I don't feel smart right now. 
or when I'm just so exhausted and I'm trying to keep my eyes open in a meeting, I'm like, I cannot do this no matter how much willpower I put into it. Uh, and I'm at a very different point in my life where I have more energy, uh, more cognitive function, uh, more everything that I would have ever wanted when I was 20. But I am more than twice that age now and completely in an amazing state cognitively and physically and emotionally. Like it's 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 remarkable. I didn't know this was doable, but I just wanted a name for that so I could bring together a community of people. I did not trademark the word biohacking, and I could have. You know, I trademarked bulletproof and you know the human upgrade and stuff like that. But I wanted this to be our word for what we do. So I run the biohacking conference, which is the first and longest running and largest biohacking conference. But anyone can have a biohacking group meet up in their living room without me knowing about it. It's you know. It is a, a movement in society. It's been in glamour. It's been in vogue. Okay, I was a fat computer hacker. Like those are the least likely things ever. But it's become something that, that is global and it's something that is at all ages. I know 70-year-old biohackers and I know 16-year-old biohackers and they're all just totally, totally kicking ass. And that just makes me happy every day. Absolutely. I love that. And, you know, I want to say thank you because your books actually years ago inspired me to think about how I felt. You know, even I started doing this when I was like 17 and I felt like terrible then. And now I feel way better than I did when I was in my late teens. It's wild. Isn't it cool? It's, it's the coolest. And the fact that, you know, you're promoting agency over your own health is is incredible and i know that you've created a movement that people are feeling better looking better you know even in later years of life and that's what life is about feeling good every morning like jumping out of bed um and just having energy to power through the day and show up for people that you love so you you're the man that did it, that started it all so thank you uh you're you're most welcome i i love hearing that someone has even read one of my books and even more that it it made a difference for how you think um as a i mean anytime you write something even on Instagram. And I mean, you have some really well thought out posts. I like they're just very factual, but it, it takes a lot of time and energy to distill knowledge and then to structure and organize it. And that's why I write books. You don't write books to make money. Um, like the per hour return on writing books is equivalent to being a barista, even if you're a sizable author. Like the number of, of thousands of hours that goes into it is ridiculous. Um, but what comes out of it is like, the most condensed, efficient way to transmit information that I know of. So um, that's why I keep doing it. I'm working on my next book, which will be my fifth New York Times bestseller, uh, because the process of making myself do the work of organizing the thoughts makes them more teachable and it makes them more actionable for me and for everyone else too. Absolutely. It has to be great for discipline as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about what are your most tried and true biohacks, like the OG biohacks? I'm actually drinking one of them right now. <laughs> there is still a small number of misguided people um, who are following an old program, usually from a marketing company, who say, I'm going to quit drinking coffee. Yes, guys, Danger Coffee is my new coffee company. You could say that I'm saying this to make a buck. I'll also tell you, it's not going to change my life if you do or drink, don't drink Danger Coffee. It, it simply doesn't. <laughs> so, it, But it might change yours, which is why I make this stuff. So uh, coffee is associated with living longer, uh, reduction in all-cause mortality, and you can take any condition you think about and you can Google coffee in that condition and it usually is good for it. So 
I, I just think the preponderance of evidence is there. Um, and a lot of this stuff is old school. If you're not eating grass-fed meat, you're missing out on a huge performance increase. If you're not eating meaningful amounts of animal-based saturated fat, your cells will not make energy the right way and you will be lethargic. And that's just how it is. If you are eating meaningful amounts of things that inflame you, including a lot of plants that people think are healthy, like kale, um, gross, and a bunch of other things, you've been told they're healthy, but if they're not working for you and you're not just bursting with energy, well, maybe they're not working for you. And the whole essence of biohacking is, well, who cares if someone says it's true? We've been lied to for at least 75 years by big business. So test it. If your heart rate variability is better when you sleep, if you wake up feeling better or you don't have dark circles on your eyes or whatever it is you're thinking about, like, oh, today was better than yesterday. What did I not do? And, and that's one of the, the other algorithms of biohacking. It's stop doing the stuff that makes you weak. That's a lot easier than doing something to make yourself stronger. So just removing kryptonite from your life. Um, imagine if you were Superman. And then one day, uh, your girlfriend Lois Lane comes home with this cool air freshener. It's this cool green color with kryptonite and a little bit of perfume and a little bit of spice mix with a healthy green uh, kale kryptonite. And you're like, oh, that isn't that great. And then all of a sudden, you're like, wow, my laser vision's a little bit off. And you know, I, I flew into a building the other day. Sorry, guys. But it's not like you lost everything. You just aren't as good as you were or as good as you could have been. And so when you get rid of that junk, it's not like there was actually an increase in your power. It's that you just got your power back to where it was supposed to be. And then you can start laying in upgrades. And there are some serious upgrades you can do after you're back to baseline. But so many people listening don't even know what baseline feels like because they've been taken out as kids eating chicken nuggets and they've never had healthy cell biology. And it takes a little bit of work to do that. Oh my God, you'll have to eat more butter. Like how much suffering is involved on that? It's not that hard. Um, other ones, I take smart drugs, um, neurofeedback, especially like the 40 years of Zen stuff, which is one of my portfolio companies. That's been very meaningful for me and now for more than a thousand other people. Um, I mean, I've meditated in caves. I've traveled around uh, Nepal and Tibet learning meditation from the masters. And I mean, the list goes on and on. But a lot of this is is mindfulness and just tracking whether you use data and science trackers or you just have a number every day. How do I feel today? At the end of the day, do I like my life? That's enough for you to go, oh my God, who would have thought that when I eat gluten two days later, I hate my life. You're never going to know that unless you write it down and pay attention. That's the thing. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I talk about it a lot. Just pay attention to how you feel if you eat a meal and you're eating kale. I know it's your favorite and you feel like crap after, then don't do that thing again. So I agree. So by the way, can you tell people your stance on kale? Why, why is it that you dislike it? Well, the first reason is that kale tastes like crap. Okay, now you might be saying to yourself, oh, but I like kale. No, you don't. You like natural MSG called nutritional yeast. You like sugar in maple syrup or you like bacon. That's what's always on kale so you can choke it down. You could just throw away the kale and choke down those other things and you'd probably enjoy them even more. But aside from the bitter, nasty taste, kale is full of something called oxalic acid. Oxalic acid is one of the five major categories of mother nature made toxins that take you off your game. It's from chapter one of the Bulletproof Diet that came out in like, I think I first wrote about it in 2011. So 
oxalic acid sticks to calcium inside your body, inside your blood. It forms tiny razor-sharp crystals that accumulate in different tissues. It is a leading cause of kidney stones. It also causes systemic inflammation. It can cause uh, even food cravings and sugar cravings after you eat it. Ever be full after a kale salad? No, that's right, you never were full because your body's going, give me something to deal with these toxins. And maybe the worst place it can go is if you're so equipped into your vulva and cause a condition called vulvodynia, which causes extreme pain from even a light touch. So why are we eating kale again? Oh, maybe it's because of thallium. You might've heard of thallium, which is a toxic metal. In fact, it's a thousand times more toxic than lead. Now, where does thallium in the environment come from? Oh, unleaded gasoline? They put thallium in there instead of lead because lead's bad. See, this is government thinking. Get rid of lead, lead bad, but not paying attention to whether what they put in was much worse. Guess what plant accumulates thallium better than any other known species? Oh, could it be kale? And what does thallium do in the body? It displaces potassium, which is really important for your cells, electrical system and hydration levels. And it's what the Russians used to call the poisoner's poison because they would use it to kill people before they invented polonium, which is much more of a Russian signature to it. So there you have it. You're eating kale. Oh wait, it's more expensive per calorie and probably per pound than grass-fed ground meat. And it is not only not full of the nutrients they say it's full of, it actively pulls nutrients out of your body. It's one of the reasons that I was looking at how can I help people using something like coffee? Danger Coffee, which is my new brand, has 56 trace minerals added back into it because foods like kale, like grains, they're actually pulling metals out of your bones, metals that you need. And we've got to be putting them back in. So when you're complexing minerals in your body using oxalic acid in your kale, it's a net negative. So no, kale is not a good source of vitamins and minerals. It steals them from you. That's why I don't like kale. Plus it's gross. Did I say that already? <laughs> I, I agree. I don't need a lot of kale either. Actually, no kale. Um, and especially once I heard your stance on it, I literally will avoid kale at all costs. I found a way to save money on, on kale. I just punch myself in the face and then it's like, I don't have to buy the kale and I get a similar effect. Oh my gosh. This could be a, this could be like a comedy little torch. I mean, maybe only a few of us would be laughing that really. Just get me going on kale. Nutrition jokes are hilarious, but no, I love it. So that's amazing. So we talked about some of your like tried and true biohacks. I agree with coffee. And by the way, for everyone that's listening, I was telling Dave that I drank his first coffee and definitely drink his new coffee. I love it and highly recommend. And Dave, real quick, can you talk about the other details of the coffee? So we have the minerals, but it's still mycotoxin-free, mold-tested, all of this, right? Oh, yeah. This is uh, tested to my newest standards. It's third-party lab-tested. And if you read the label uh, for Danger Coffee, it says mold-tested right on it. And if you look at other brands that have a reputation for being clean, they don't actually say that they're mold-tested anymore. So you got to be really careful and read the fine print uh, on any any brand that you're paying attention to. The uh, The other thing that coffee is good for is intermittent fasting, which is a massively important biohack, kind of to go back to your last question. Um, it's been a part of the Bulletproof diet for the past decade. And one of the things that makes intermittent fasting really powerful is if you can do it without being hungry. So it's not willpower based. And my last book called Fast This Way, I go deep into that. And 
when you're getting minerals during a fast, minerals, they have a chance to take action and they actually bind to toxins, the specific form that I use in Danger Coffee. So you're getting electrolytes, minerals, mold-free lab-tested coffee. And this coffee tastes very different than anything I've done before because we actually found a way to ferment the coffee with clean microbes. So it is exceptionally clean coffee, but other types of, of coffee are simply unfermented. So part of what brings out the flavor is fermentation, but part of what introduces toxins is fermentation. So the very best coffee, danger coffee, could be fermented and still clean. So it has that amazing flavor that you might want, and it's proudly, definitely lab-tested for mold. Oh, and I have to call this out about, um, about intermittent fasting. Um, there's uh, fasts with Dave is like, I'll teach you how to fast for free. And my favorite URL of all time is my other biohack. It's sleepwithdave.com. And that's all about sleeping better. Cause honestly, if you learn intermittent fasting, you learn how to sleep. You're probably a better biohacker than almost everyone. Even if you still eat chicken nuggets, which you probably shouldn't do either. Absolutely. I agree. And the top, the coffee tastes incredible. So thank you for that. So we talked about your your favorite biohacks. What about new, like kind of more innovative biohacks uh, that you're liking right now? Well, I started this journey going, my brain feels like crap. And I don't know if I would hire myself for this demanding job in Silicon Valley. In fact, I bought disability insurance in my mid-20s. Not a lot of 20-something-year-olds do that, but I was worried. And all my lab tests were fine. All my doctors said I was fine. There was no actual medical evidence that anything was going wrong. But I'm just like, I'm so tired. right? And when you look at what you can do with the brain, I started out with nootropics. And I ordered a bunch of them from Europe and it was much harder to get them. No one even knew what nootropics were back then. So I spent like a thousand dollars and this package arrived six weeks later in you know, plain brown wrapping from England or something. And I tried some nootropics, some of the Racetam family. And a week later I was so pissed. I'm like, these don't even work. So I stopped taking them. And then the next day I'm like, what was that word again? And I realized that when I was taking the nootropics, my verbal fluency, I wasn't losing words. I wasn't having to look for words. It was just smooth and easy. Well, that was what happens. When you take nootropics, when you, even when you use the right coffee, the right intermittent fasting, the right whatever, you just feel more like yourself. And it's smooth and easy. And the level of resistance in your life is down. So... That was the first thing that I really felt from nootropics was that I still use nootropics to this day and I have some favorite ones, but I'm always trying out new ones. And then I'm also trying out brain modulation technologies. Um, one of my companies makes um, light therapy devices and that one's called um, True Light. And I've been experimenting with more light on different parts of my brain. Um, I've been experimenting with other brain modulation technologies for years, but I think we're finally getting to the point of understanding how to hack our brain. Different frequencies of electricity over the brain has been a part of my practice uh, for 20 years, actually, <laughs> when I think about it. Like when I write my book, I run electricity at a certain current. But now there's pulsed electromagnets on the brain, some of what we're doing at uh, 40 years of Zen. So we're coming to this point where we're, we're knowing between certain types of light, certain types of magnetism, um, certain types of electrical current, and maybe even certain types of ultrasound, we can kind of do magic.
Yeah, I agree. And I love some of these modalities too. Um, I use a little red light up the nose, a little photobiomodulation. So I agree. So I've heard you say that your brain is the age of a 20-year-old. So as, so you have the nootropics, you have um, 40 years of Zen. Is there anything else that you're doing for your brain right now? I, I mean, everything you do that enhances your metabolism ultimately helps your brain first. Your mitochondria are, we'd like to say the power plants of your cells, but as you know, that's not really accurate. They are environmental sensors that after they decide what to do, and I noticed they decide, this is before your brain even notices reality. Your mitochondria have decided, is this you know, a good environment, a bad environment, what time is it? And they can decide to be a manufacturing plant that makes proteins or inflammatory molecules. Uh, they can decide to make electricity. They can decide to split and make new mitochondria. They can decide to clean themselves up. So they're really the puppet masters of your, your body. Your neurons have 15,000 mitochondria in each cell, and so do your cardiac cells. But most of the rest of your body has only a couple hundred to a couple thousand. So these are the most energy-burning parts of the body, which means when you can be better at turning air and food into electricity, then your brain and your heart feel it first and you get the most benefits there. So um, for, for me, when I look at, you know, what does is, what is your brain look like? What does your brain function look like? It is largely about making your, your brain work better, which means anything that improves systemic energy production equals brain first. And that was kind of the basis of my book, Headstrong, uh, which has all the brain hacks that I know of in it. So, for me, what I think I like to measure is a couple different things in the brain just to go into like, how would you know you have a young brain? One of them is hippocampal volume. So the hippocampus shrinks over time. And you measure this with uh, various things like an MRI, uh, or I think you can see it um, when you're doing a DEXA scan, but I don't actually know for sure. But my hippocampal volume is in the 87th percentile which means, hmm, it's not shrinking the way it's supposed to. I wonder what happened there, right? And is that from mitochondria? Is that from eating adequate saturated fat and the omega-3s? Is it from all the brain training? We actually don't know, but I can tell you it's working. The second thing, and this is probably the most quantitatively uh, solid and interesting, is called P300D. Have you heard of that? It's I kind of a... but I'm okay. very intrigued. So in... Um, in the field of, of neurofeedback, there are all sorts of signals you can get off the brain. And um, I've learned a lot about it because one of my companies, the one that, that designs the tech for 40 years of Zen, we manufacture our own uh, amplifiers and software for analyzing and collecting brain waves. And one of the interesting metrics is how quickly does your brain respond after there's either a light or a sound in the environment? Right? So this isn't how quickly do you make a decision, how quickly do you think of something. It's literally, if there's a light switch that goes on and off, your brain won't twitch electrically for about 240 milliseconds if you're maybe an in-shape 17-year-old or a NASCAR driver. Like That's the very fastest response times, just for the brain. You still have to decide what to do. That's just for your brain to know your body's already reacting. And then... 
as you age, it goes down to about 350, maybe even 375 milliseconds. So there's a decline. So reality happens. And if you're young and smart and healthy, a quarter second after reality, your brain gets the first sign that reality happened. And then you decide what to do. And it might be you know half a second or a whole second later. So we live with this gap between our biology sensing and responding to the world and then us being told that our biology did that. And then us deciding what what we just did was our fault. And the most classic example of this, if you lean against a hot stove, you don't go, oh, look, it's hot. I smell bacon. Let me pull my hand away. Like, we don't actually do that. But as soon as we pull our hand away, we go, wow, good thing I pulled my hand away before I got burned. But it wasn't you who pulled your hand away. Like, who did that? Well, it was your mitochondria and distributed networks making a decision to keep you the Petri dish that is you alive. So how quickly can your brain detect these things? It's hackable and it's predictable, completely linear curve with age. Except I have the average brain response time of a 20-year-old when you measure my P300D. Now, why is that? Could it be the six months of developing and designing and creating the 40 Years of Zen program? So I've had literally neurofeedback every day for six months of my life in divided times. Uh, it could it be the mitochondrial enhancement? Could it be running electrical current over my brain? The light therapy, ozone therapy, eating the right foods. I think it's all those. But what I do know is fundamentally it works. Like that's how fast I am, or more to the point, how fast my brain can sense reality. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that if a guy who is as sick and as fat and as basically wrecked as I was biologically, if I can do that in my 40s, maybe you could do it better than me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's incredible. And thank you for sharing. I, I want to do that test soon and see where I uh, fall. I would hope that I fall pretty, I am hope that I would do pretty well, but we'll see, of course. So I want to talk about diet. You have the bulletproof diet. Do you still adhere to that? Is that still what your, your beliefs pretty strongly are? Like what does a day of eating for Dave look like? You know, I have... I went through, so for, I have a, a mentorship group uh, where um, there's uh, more than a thousand people and we get together you know, every couple of weeks and I have a call with them. And I've also done a class on every one of my books where I teach my books in short segments. So if you want to just go deep for six weeks or something, it's taught like a class with a group. And I just recorded the entire notes for the Bulletproof Diet, which means I got to review every word that I wrote 10 years later and to see, okay, what did I, what did I miss? What did I get wrong given what I know now? And at the end of it, when I was talking with my team, I'm like, wow, I forgot half the stuff I wrote in there, but I think I nailed it. Okay. Chapter one of the book, we talk about lectins. We talk about oxalates, uh, omega-6 fats, uh, and mycotoxins and histamine. And if you look at all the trends that we're hearing about now, histamine in diets is being talked about finally. There's a few voices, including you, who talk about mold toxins and that they're actually quite common in food. And our ranchers sure know that they can't feed too many of them to cows or pigs because, well, they start failing to gain weight and dying sooner. So they don't like to do that. But of course, for us, it's okay. Uh, and then um, the lectins had a big rise in attention. And the other thing I talked about was phytic acid which no one talks about, but all these fake plant foods that are being sold as healthy, they're exceptionally high in a compound that sticks to zinc and calcium and other precious minerals in your body. So we've, and just being vegan, which I was for a while, I was a raw vegan trying to, to get healthy before I created the Bulletproof thing, 
to heal from being vegan. It, it takes about two years of eating butter to restore your cell membranes after you've been a vegan for a couple of years. But what did I get wrong in it? Well, the impact of oxalic acid is probably a little bit higher than I thought. And some of the foods that I put in the okay group, um, like almonds and sweet potatoes, Sweet potatoes are a great source of carbohydrates if you're not oxalic acid sensitive. And I feel like I should have maybe paid more attention to ranking nuts based on omega-6 fats. And it's already ranked on the Bulletproof Diet. It's daveasprey.com slash roadmap. Like it's all, that's a printout on the fridge. It's not selling anything. It's just like the info. Um, I rank the nuts based on Percentage of saturated fat, which is why macadamias and cashews, yes, they're not a nut, but whatever. Um, I rank them highly based on their fatty acid profile. And then after that, I rank them based on like toxins, whether they're likely to be moldy and whether they have you know, these other things like phytic acid and lectins. But I think I maybe should have weighted the omega-6s in some of the nuts more heavily than I did because I think I failed to comprehend how many nuts people would actually eat. If like, oh, that one's only kind of okay, but it's good enough. I'm just going to go to town. And if you're eating you know, five handfuls of almonds a day, it is going to suck your body dry of minerals. It's not a good choice. But if you want some almond flour and something, that's fine. All right. So it's, it's a question of degree. Where we have failed kind of as a species is that our brains love to solve problems without thinking because we're wired to save energy. So what we do is we build these basic mental templates, these heuristics. And one of them is, if something good, more. If something bad, less. That way you don't have to think, right? And it drives polarization. It also drives overall stupidity. Because if something more good, well, fasting is good, therefore you should starve to death. And people will way over fast. Or they'll do the same thing. You know, you know, three nuts good, 15 nuts better. But it turns out almost everything, there's a Goldilocks zone. And so I would have maybe encouraged people to eat fewer nuts uh, than I did. Uh, but I think overall, the omega-6 thing, I've been low omega-6 fat diet for, um, geez, like almost 15 years. And I've been low on all the other things. And I haven't changed the diet at all. I moved my eating window up a little bit too. Um, I used to just say, all right, fine, if I have dinner by seven. We've just learned more about the strength of the signal of food on circadian biology. I've always been you know, one of the earliest voices in... Um, the effect of light on biology. And I've written patents about that for my glasses company, which is TrueDark. But it turns out if light is the number one signal of circadian timing, food timing is the second strongest signal. And after that, it's probably temperature. And after that, it's either exercise or seeing a lot of faces. And at that point, they're kind of minor variables. So if you get your light and your meal timing right, your sleep quality goes through the, just through the roof. And for me now, I'm pretty religious. I don't like to eat after 5.30 uh, in the evening, maybe you know, finish dinner at six, but you won't see me doing dinner at eight o'clock almost ever, unless it's some kind of a social thing. And then I find I'm just not gonna sleep as well that night, but I know it. So I wasn't as militant on early dinner as I should have been. Otherwise, I would read that book again right now and stand by every word in it. That's great. And I mean, I agree with the principles completely as well. Something that I'm excited that people are talking about more, and you've been talking about this forever, but I would love for people to hear from you. So these pro-inflammatory oils, soybean, canola oil that are literally yeah. in everything. I mean, you know, 
we won't say, but a very popular grocery store that people tend to trust. You walk over to the hot bar and filled with this canola oil. Can you just explain why they, they're really going to wreak havoc? They are and will be wrecking havoc on us? One of the things that's negatively affected us includes those oils, but one of the things that's been really affecting us for a long time goes back to the early 1900s. There were these two really odd guys. There was Dr. Kellogg and Dr. Graham. Dr. Kellogg made Kellogg's cornflakes and Graham made graham crackers. And what these were was low-fat, sugary foods designed to reduce testosterone levels because these wackos believed that lowering sexual desire would make for a healthier society. And this led to all kinds of weird beliefs. And as that kind of belief system metastasized, thanks to the power of, of big marketing, we ended up to the 1970s belief that somehow if you ate every part of a food, it was better. This flies in the face of all of human history where cooking was created to remove toxins or to make nutrients more bioavailable. So we would peel our foods and then we'd eat them. And then the movement of saying, well, you know, there's fiber in there. It doesn't matter if there's cyanide and lead, there's fiber. So you eat it because you ignore the stuff that makes you weak. And then you just focus on the presence of something. So where we ended up was this idea that anything plant-based must be good for you. And this is driven in part by that movement and in part by trauma. And the, it was the, the animal rights movement, which was founded by someone who was responding in trauma or out of trauma to what happened uh, during World War II. He was like, I, I saw so much horror. I get triggered every time I see an animal. Therefore, I'm going to create a movement around not eating animals, ignoring the fact that you kill more squirrels to eat a vegan burger than you do to eat a cow burger. Right. So there's all this like weird sexual shaming and trauma and just non clear thinking that's leading people to say, oh, if I eat the shell of the walnut because it's a whole food or if I eat stuff that no one throughout history would eat on purpose unless they were dying of starvation, somehow it makes me a better person. And the trend towards canola oil, soybean oil, it's just cheap. And they're telling you it's healthy because it's plant based. You know what else is plant-based? Sarin nerve gas that killed all the people in a Tokyo subway attack. There are tons of toxins. You don't believe me? Just go out into the forest and eat some plants. And if you can walk out of the forest under your own power after that, you should drive to the hospital because it's probably going to be really bad for you. So plants are not harmless. And plant oils are not compatible with human biology in volume. So we've always been exposed to some amount. For instance, grass-fed beef is 1.7% of the fat in there it's omega-6 fat. So that's about right for us. But when we substitute tallow and all of the other things that we've always eaten throughout everywhere on the planet where we can get it, these weird oils that have never existed, those are oils that slow metabolic function. So when you add a ton of these seed oils, whether because you just went vegan or because you've just been eating a bunch of French fries cooked at a modern restaurant, those oils become incorporated into the cell membranes, which are made of tiny droplets of fat. And when that happens, it slows cell metabolism. So then your body sees that and goes, oh my God, this is horrible. So it turns up your thermostat by making more thyroid hormones. So then you feel really good for about a month or two. And then after that, you start making less and less energy. Guess what plant oils are really good for? 
they're good for putting animals into hibernation mode. They eat a lot of these plant fats, the omega-6 fats, in fall, which allows them to fall asleep and be fat all winter. So why would you want to eat those unless hibernation is your game? They're simply bad for you metabolically. They're related to cancer, to skin aging, specifically to diabetes, to Alzheimer's, and they're unstable, especially when cooked. So if you want to do just one thing from this whole interview, stop eating those fried things at restaurants and stop eating commercial salad dressing and switch to butter for your cooking, for your eating, and eat more grass-fed animals. If you did that, you'd radically shift your amount of fat that you eat, and over the next two years, you'll be thinner, leaner, happier, and you'll live longer, and plus butter tastes good. I couldn't agree more. I love butter, and I yeah love ghee. Those are my some of my top favorites for cooking. Um, so thank you for that. So you intend on living to 100, is it still 180 or have you like upped the ante? It, it's always been at least 180 because I don't want to unfairly limit myself. Yeah, absolutely. that would be very unfair. So what what does that look like? What do you think will have to happen in order to enable you to do that? Is it caloric restriction? Is it, you know, do you think there's going to be a massive shift in technology that's going to help? Or what do you think the principles are going to be to help you do that? Probably just feasting on the blood of my enemies would be the the first part of that. Okay, now it, it, it's not being angry all the time, but why 180? And there's really good science behind that. My second to last book, which is called Superhuman, is the big anti aging book about everything that that we know right now. Another good book about that uh, with similar thinking is Life Force, uh, the Tony Robbins Peter Diamandis book that recently came out. And what those two books will show you very clearly is that we know so much more now than in all of human history about aging. And given that the current best we have is people who are 120 years old walking around, okay? They were born before the first automobile. World War I would be fought largely on horseback and maybe if you buy planes. I mean, this is really primitive times. They couldn't spell DNA. They didn't have antibiotics. They didn't know what a mitochondria was. They didn't have PubMed. They didn't have machine learning. They didn't have even mostly phones. So if you wanted to learn something, you had to write a letter to, or get in, you know, get in a carriage and ride somewhere, maybe on a train. I, good God, could you imagine learning at that speed? It would have taken an entire human lifetime to write half of one of my books. But I can do what I can do now because I can look at most of the sum of human knowledge and filter it and build connections. And that is amazing. Given all of that, I kind of think that if in the next 130 whatever years, we can't do 50% better than our current best, it's because an asteroid hit the planet. It's because a bunch of crazy people broke our culture so that learning was no longer allowed. Or more likely, it's because we destroyed our topsoil growing a bunch of canola oil to feed to people who are going to die of diabetes. So let's keep our topsoil safe, which is a big carbon sink. Uh, and let's allow science to continue with free speech, free inquiry, and the ability to be wrong and be stupid and still speak. And if we can just do that, I think it's in the bag. A lot of us are going to live way longer than we think. A couple of quick questions about that. So I actually went down to his clinic in, in Naples, and I did the full diagnostics. I'm waiting for my results. But do you think that'll play an important role? Is I mean, basically, don't die early, right? Catch things prior to them developing. Yeah. the In the, the program in Superhuman, I'm like, step one, don't die. And there's four killers. And if you just don't die of one of those, you're probably going to live a lot longer. And certainly, you're going to live a lot better. 
right? And what is um, what does that look like? Well, diabetes is a precursor to the other three big killers. We have cancer, we have heart disease, and we have Alzheimer's. If you just don't get one of those, the odds of being 100 and walking around under your own power with a fully working brain going, you know what? I think I've earned the title village elder because I actually have wisdom. I have accumulated enough experience. I've dealt with enough of my own BS that I can see the world clearly and share it with people who are willing to listen. That's what the role of our village elder has always been. And we're in this weird point in society where we fed people so poorly and we stress people out so much that our old people are largely too tired uh, and too brain fogged and too unhealthy to do what they're supposed to do, which is provide a modulating voice of wisdom so that we don't make the same mistakes generation after generation after generation. So I think we desperately need a bunch of 150 year olds who know what they're doing, who are sources of knowledge saying, you know what? The last three times we tried to create censorship models in big governments, it led to the governments being overthrown. So let's not do that again. Things like that. In fact, where do you think the constitution came from? It came from guys who'd figured that out and said, you know, this is what governments always do. Let's put some controls in place. So that comes from wisdom, from having time to study history, having time to date the wrong people, having time to get fat and lose the weight, having time to learn how to meditate. And when you're done, you're like, you know what? I've achieved a level of mastery over my life. I want to share still having the energy to give back. That's what this looks like. That's why it matters so much. But yeah, if you get diabetes and Alzheimer's, you're not going to do it. So you have to avoid the four killers. And then there are, uh, in the model that I use in Superhuman, there are seven major causes of aging, and you have to address all seven. So if you have a car, and you're saying, I'm going to drive this car forever, so I definitely make sure I change my oil, but I never rotate my tires, it's not going to work, right? Something's going to give out. So what are the seven most important things that you deal with for aging? And what are the technologies that we have now that are free? the ones that we have now that are cheap and the ones that the crazy billionaires are doing. I went and I did all of those that I could and I wrote about them more so that we could talk about the science behind it and how these things that we now understand can be modulated. Things like senescent cells or zombie cells, things like telomeres, things like mitochondrial function, accumulation of junk inside the cells, accumulation outside the cells, and uh, DNA and mitochondrial mutations. These are all things you gotta address each of those and there are ways to do it. And I believe that machine learning and AI are a big part of it. Uh, my newest company where I'm putting the most focus is called Upgrade Labs. And right now we're cracking the code on exercise and recovery using artificial intelligence. We're gathering more data about your body than you've ever been able to gather, having you do specific things that aren't really exercise but work five or 10 times better, and then looking at the results and feeding them back into the system. So we're always learning how to shave minutes off of what you do to have the body and the mind that you want. And for some people, I want to be swole. Other people, I want cardio. Other people, I just want to be chill and super smart. <laughs> like, you get to pick the goal. How do we get you there in the fewest possible minutes with the least possible effort? And only really big data sets can get us there. But that's happening for aging. It's happening for all of the human condition right now. You just don't see it because it's happening like all over the world and research labs. And it's so cool. Yeah, I think the future is going to be, I mean, just so incredible. What about stem cells? Do you think stem cells are going to play a role in actually getting to 180? I've bet really big on stem cells. 
Uh, I worked with uh, Dr. Harry Adelson at Doser Clinics in uh, Park City. Uh, we created this whole body stem cell makeover. And you could go in and say, oh, I have you know, sore knee, I want stem cells or my back hurts, which is his, his main specialty. But I'm like, look, I'm gonna fly here. Uh, we're gonna with we're gonna take out some uh, bone marrow cells or some fat cells. We're gonna use exosomes and some V cells and all these different things. Why don't you just do all of me at once? Like I want the whole body things. I don't want just one part of me to heal. I want all of me to be younger. So I've had stem cells inside my cerebral spinal fluid, inside my spine, every joint in my body, face, hair, reproductive organs, uh, everything you can think of. And I've done it multiple times. So I, I really, truly have seen the difference, especially in cognitive function, that may account for my faster brain, to be honest. Um, and the data and the science is getting better and better. And every year, stem cell effectiveness and techniques improve. The only risk there that I'm aware of is over-regulation. In the US, things that are quite easy to do in other countries can be um, unfairly limited. So the US can fall behind if we're not careful. The good news is that the stuff that's most tried and, and tested, the stuff that I've been doing uh, in Salt Lake, that is um, legal and achievable, but some of the most cutting edge stuff on the planet that won't be approved here for five years is available elsewhere, uh, but it's also less tested. So there, there is a, a safety margin from doing it in the US, but I really would like it if more innovation was allowed. And that's one of the big risks for people who want to live a very long time is your government may not let you, so you'll have to get a new government, just you know, move somewhere or elect someone else or whatever else. Absolutely. And my last question is, what about peptides? What, what are your opinion on peptides? Do you have some favorites? I've been using peptides for, I think it's about 10 years now. And that was one of the chapters in Superhuman. And like anything, you use certain nutrients to get results that you're looking for, and you use certain peptides to get results as well. So one of my favorites um, is MSH, melanocyte stimulating hormone. Now that's one of my favorites because I am 99% Northern European. And that means I am what they would call butt white. Uh, unfortunately, I have the vitamin D receptors of someone who should live in Africa or on a Pacific Island somewhere. So what that means is that if I get enough sun to make my vitamin D levels happy, I would be burned to a crisp. And if I get a tan, it's gonna to take too much sun exposure. But if I have a natural tan, I can protect myself from the sun more. So I inject MSH and then I get in the sun for 20 minutes and I have a healthy tan, which gives me natural sunscreen the rest of the time. So I really like that stuff. Um, I've used Epitalon, uh, which lengthens your telomeres. Um, I've used Pinealon, which helps uh, with uh, your pineal gland. Um, the thymic peptides help with immune function. BPC-157 for wound healing is particularly powerful. And then what else? Jeez, I've, I've tried probably 50 different peptides. Some of them work for some people, they don't work for others. Things like uh, deep sleep-inducing peptide doesn't do anything for me, but others swear by it. So sometimes you just have to play around. Uh, but the ones that are probably most popular would be PT-141. Uh, which is good for, uh, as you age, uh, reproduction, uh, prostate health. Um, but the side effect is it makes you feel like you're 18, again, uh, from a bedroom perspective. So a lot of people like PT-141 because they're getting an anti-aging effect, but it's also called a recreational substance. Um, so that one's a fun one, too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that they're really interesting. But regulation comes in there, too. You know, we can have things and then we can't. So it's an interesting it landscape. At a certain point, we just have to say, 
guys, these are protein fragments that are present in our bodies now. You don't get to regulate those. You do not have a constitutional right. You do not have a moral right. This is my biology, my choice. And if someone tells you that you may not have access to a therapy that will extend or save your life, that person is your enemy and you have a right to defend yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here with me today. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Kayla. Keep putting out the good content on Instagram. Uh, there are more and more voices every day talking about biohacking, talking about this complete mistake we're making by somehow thinking that fake food that tastes vaguely like meat is somehow the logical equivalent of meat. And so I appreciate that you're just talking about real stuff on your channel. Keep doing it. Thank you so much. was created and is hosted by Kayla Barnes. This podcast is for informational purposes only and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kayla Barnes, does not accept responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of the information contained herein. Opinions of their guests are their own and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical issue, consult a licensed physician.